Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. Welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. A lot of cool pictures. Also, I've been giving away a lot of cool stuff. I've been getting a lot of great stuff from people, books. CDs coming, uh, if, you know, the movie theaters open again, movie tickets, so you want to definitely follow. And now, wow, you guys, guess what? The show can be heard on Spotify, on Stitcher, iTunes, and here at Blog Talk Radio. So if you're listening to music and you, you know, get tired, you can switch over and listen to a show, and uh, it's right there at your fingertips. Well, this morning, I have a beautiful guest across the globe in South Africa, She's an LGBTI activist. She's one of the, she became the first African lesbian to address gay and lesbian rights before the UN. She's been fighting since I don't know when to try to get people to recognize this is a human rights issue. Um, she's made films, and she has a second film coming out, which we'll talk about later in the interview. Good morning, Beverly Dipsy. Or oh, wait, oh, Dr. Beverly <laughs> Good morning, Joy Keys. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Um, I, I'll tell you, what happened was, you know, I'm always scouring the Internet and different things. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for guests and things of that nature. And I saw your picture, and I was like, who the hell is this? Who, what, who, 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 oh, my God, who is this? And the picture, you know, when you first look at it, you see you, and you're, you're in the suit and everything. And this is yeah. from the article from The Guardian. But then, if you really yeah. look closely, there's this lion head behind you. And I don't yes. know if people saw that. So it's like you couldn't miss that at the beginning, you know. And then, then you, because you're just focused on you, and then you see that. It's just such a powerful photo, I think, really capturing you are like a lioness there in South Africa, you know, really trying to fight for human rights. Um, now, oh, thank you for you noticing. I actually uh, painted that on that wall for exactly that reason. It just reminds no me of power and oh, strength. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is great. That is amazing. Um, you weren't always this fierce, you know. I, was, I watched the movie. No. And um, let's talk about when did you know that you were a lesbian? Because, you know, people always have this question about are you born this way? Did you choose this way? 
when did you first realize? I know the answer based on your your movie, but I want you to let the audience know. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's coming up with the word. I think the word and the definition of the word, which was for me gay, it wasn't even lesbian at the time. Um, that's what caught me on to the fact that there's something else that was happening. I grew up not necessarily... Um, you know, it, it, within the confines of gender, I grew up in a maternal home, so I always had women around, and we always did everything. So I, I wasn't forced to being a girly girl. I wasn't forced to be anything other than myself. Um, and so I'd always, everybody thought I was a boy, and I was just as happy to be called a boy or a girl. That didn't matter to me when I was growing up. Um, but finding the word gay, I think I was in my late teens, and by then, you know, besides the hormonal issues you have as a teenager, um, I realized that it didn't look like I liked the same things and I I, I wanted the same things as other girls did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a bit of a crisis until the word gay actually happened. And when it did, all of a sudden I had a language for who I am, and that meant that there would obviously be a community for of people who were like me. And that was the first time I realized that, you know, not only am I different, but this is how I'm different, and there is a community just like me out there. Um, And it was the first. I didn't know anyone else like me, so I was really depressed until that moment. A lot of, um, you know, teenagers or people who are born gay or lesbian or trans, they have that issue of being alone because, one, you're afraid to talk to other people. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't mm-hmm. know how it's going to be received, but you do mm-hmm. know how the other is received. Whatever the other is, exactly. the other is usually yes. received negatively, you know. So you don't want to bring yes. something out of the norm up to your family yes. or to your friends because you don't want to be outside the circle. And um, that's really hard. A lot of teenagers, you know, they run away from home or they're kicked out of home because um, their families are not opening and welcoming um, society is not welcoming. Um, it may be a little better now, but I'm sure when you were growing up and even before when you were growing up, you know, it's just it's just outside the circle. So people feel like, oh, I better say to myself, you know. So, yeah. You know, you, and and you normally know, we, that, that we pushed and, no, yes, I mean, we pushed and forced into, into what is seen as the norm. And You know, just outside of sexual orientation, even just gender expression and gender identity and all other kinds of expressions, we're constantly finding ourselves having to conform to what is seen as a norm. And so a lot of the time, um, school teaches us sameness. We go to different institutions that teaches us that there's only one way to be, and therefore you must act and be that way. Um, and, and that normally creates a lot of crisis because you have two choices. Either you conform and you live accordingly um, and, and pretend your whole life to be exactly like everyone else, or you have to find a way to, you know, be yourself. And, and mm-hmm. that is a risk. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're coming out as gay. It doesn't matter if you are coming out as trans. It doesn't matter if you're saying I'm non-binary. Um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, even the, the neurodivergent people have to conform and, and try and, and figure out how to be like everyone else because we are forced into sameness. And that is unfortunately where the crisis is. 
is, is not being allowed to be oneself in this in, in the fullness of what that is. Um, yes. And of course, it's worse if it's, if it's very obvious that, you know, you are effeminate and you're a man or you are masculine and you are born female at birth. You know, it's, 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 we are taught to be inside a particular binary. And right. that is sad. There are a lot of miserable children out there as a result. And miserable adults, obviously. And miserable adults. I mean, I, adults. I saw an article recently. This guy was 90, and he finally came out to his family. Yes. He's 90 years old. So for 90 yes. years, this man was pretending to be something else. So now imagine the stress. You know, it's the stress of, like, every situation you mm-hmm. cannot say what you're really feeling. You know, exactly. and for 90 years, so the stress of him emotionally, psychologically, having to guard himself, even maybe, you know how you get happy and you're just like free, you know, no matter what mm-hmm. your sexual orientation or anything, mm-hmm. you're just relaxed mm-hmm. and, and you can say whatever. Mm-hmm. This person could not do mm-hmm. that, you know, yes. and, you know, it, it reminded me of, um, I had a, 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 a guest recently, she's from South Africa and she was colored and she was talking about how her grandfather was white. Um mm labeled white, let's put it that way, based yes. on the labels yes. of apartheid. Um, classified as white. Uh-huh. Classified as white. But, you know, his wife was classified as colored, so they had to live in the colored section, and he couldn't bring any of his friends, anything at work, everything at work had to be guarded. He couldn't talk about it. When he got uh-huh. sick, his family couldn't come visit him in the hospital because they weren't white, yeah. and he was in the yeah. white hospital. So yep. let's go to, you know, your lesbian, gay, or trans, um, even here in America, we talk about the health care. They are not knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the needs of the LGBTI community, and yep. some are very cool, and some make it mm-hmm. difficult for people to get um, maybe medicines they might need or anything, mm-hmm. or having a conversation, mm-hmm. or just putting them on the spot. I mean, these are the things that mm-hmm. I read, that, that you're putting a person on the spot and trying to, like, um, mm-hmm. Interrogate them. And and how would you think you know, Africa with the healthcare? Um, I don't think it's 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 very different. Uh, I don't think it's different. Pretty much, the difference between rich and poor is is very wide. The, the divide is wide. And so, if you are depending on a public health system, um, you will generally face a lot of poor service. Um, we are a very underserviced community. But when you are queer, on top of it all. Um, you face such a myriad of issues. Um, there are places, obviously, clinics and hospitals where we just do not go. And, and access to health is very difficult. We try to not go to the doctor when you have issues. I think I posted not too long ago that I had to go to a, a different doctor, and now I had to steal myself because now I have to actually either come out or explain myself because every time you go to a gynae, for example, one of the first things they ask is, what contraceptive are you on if you are assigned female at birth? What that means generally is that if you say I'm not on any because I do not engage in sexual relations with men, then, then the question is, oh, you're not? And mm-hmm. that's where the problem then begins, is that either you have to then come out, and if this is a progressive doctor who is clued up, then they will most generally kind of move on and say, okay, so what are the issues, and just move on. If right. not, I have, been, I have found myself sexually abused by gy- male gynees who say, oh, so you don't do men, huh? 
Um, mm. And so, you know, and this obviously gets exacerbated because I'm seeing a lot of older lesbian friends who, who have all kinds of issues because it's not easy to go to a doctor. And then, of course, if you're trans, which doctor do you go to that's not going to be interrogating and calling other doctors to say, oh, look at this? Right. And so we are really, really, really the most underserviced community in that way if you add the fact that we are also not necessarily very wealthy and we don't have access to the private doctors um, and that will give us the kind of treatment we deserve as human beings. Let's talk about something a little lighter, Miss Singer, yeah. Miss Guitar Player. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Aspiring Bassist who is um, still learning and going through it. Okay, you're learning the you're learning the bass now? Well, I've been I've been I think bass has always been my thing. Um I I, I heard one of your interviews with Michelle De Giacello. Oh my god, I almost died. I think that's one of the reasons I picked up the bass. I realized that oh wait, I love this thing was Michelle. Yes, I I had her on a couple times and and we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. you know, I have I have fam- I have a family member, two family members who are bass players, so I'm familiar with mm-hmm. the love of the bass. Uh, your fingers oh, are yeah. going to get messed up. You know that, right? Your oh no, I oh like, I know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cuz my, my, my cousin, his fingertips are like oh my god, when I, I shake his hand it's like, ah, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm so oh, it's all good for the okay, love of the good. So you, yeah. you, you, um, where did this love of entertainment come? I mean, I, again, I, I know some of the answer, but tell the audience a little bit about Absolutely. your family has a, a great entertainer in it. Well, my mom was a was a superstar in South Africa in the in the mid '60s, early '70s, mid '70s. Um, she was, you know, front singer, lead singer of a few bands. Um, you know, at the time. And of course, this was during apartheid. So of course, you know, a lot of the bands never got known, although there's some prominent people now who are, who were performers with her. Um, she was, she was a front to a lot of bands. And so I grew up, I literally say I grew up backstage because if she, if she, if there was no babysitter, if there was no, nobody to take care of me, she would have to take me with. Um, while, while she was performing in different stages around Johannesburg and around Soweto. So I grew up in the music. And, and to be honest, I always thought I'd either be a singer or an actor. Mm-hmm. I always thought, I always saw myself on stages. And um, when she started acting in the early parts of the, in the early, early 80s, when, when t- television was born in South Africa, because, um, you know, they, we didn't have TV until 1977. Mm. Um, they banned television in this country in apartheid because they thought that it would pollute our minds. Anyway, yep. so when, you know, TV was just born in the country and mom took me along to, you know, to all her different auditions. And so I became both singer and actor from the age of nine. So the music and the performance and the art has always been a part of me. I think going back to filmmaking, you know, after my heydays of activism and my, you know, bridging and being both activist and filmmaker and musician has just kind of always been me. Um, and so it's kind of come full circle now that I am in my later years where I can do all of them. Um, and I'm very blessed to be, to be able to say that, to be able to say I can make music, make a film, and still go out and be my out loud lesbian activist self. Um, so it's a, it's a blessing. It's a real blessing. Do you think you could sing a little something for us? Am I putting you on the spot? 
Yes, you would be putting me on the spot because okay, I trust okay. my bass. I trust my bass playing more than I trust my vocals. <laughs> okay, no problem. But no so problem. I, I do backing vocals. If somebody else sang, I I I I I'm really good at harmonizing. I'm one of those you know shoe up girls in the background. Right. Like, shoe up, shoe up, shoe up, shoe up. I am that person. I'm very happy over there. <laughs> okay, no problem, no problem. Now let's talk about your friend Simon. Um. Who was Simon to you, and what did you end up doing because of Simon? Tell the audience a little bit about your relationship with him. Simon and Cordy. Simon and Cordy was a Delmas treason trialist. Okay, Delmas was an area in, in Johannesburg, near Johannesburg, outside of Johannesburg. Um, there was a trial that went on for four years where um, they were called terrorists. Of course, they were freedom fighters who were um, tried for treason, and they were going to be hung. Um, literally, the South African government wanted to make an example out of every protester from 1976 uprisings to the uprisings that happened in the 80s. They were going to make an example of people like Simon and Cody. So he had been on trial and they were eventually found not guilty because, you know, it was crap anyway. Um, and he then he then kind of made a very big kind of coming out where he said, you know, not only am I black, but I'm also gay. Um, mm. And... And that became a big deal because even amongst those that he was in prison with, they are now South Af- some of South Africa's leaders. Um, and so being able to come out at a time when it was most dangerous to come out and to be able to articulate his, his sexual orientation in the way that he did and still kind of educate and, and, and make friends across the board with all the different political leaders, you know, we, we really credit some of that to why we South Africa has one of the best constitutions in the world when it comes to the protection of everyone's human rights. Uh, and so I met Simon in, in just in the late 80s at, at the first meeting um, just after he came out of prison. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd never seen a, a gay man who was so openly gay. Who I mean, yes, I had because I had a, I had a few friends by then who were all very flamboyant. But here, this man was a political activist, um, you know, bona fide, authentic. He'd just come out of prison type of thing. Um, right. Out saying, well, I'm here, and this is a legitimate fight. Our fight to be recognized and, and for gay and lesbian issues and LGBTIQA issues to be um, recognized in the Constitution is legitimate. And that just changed my whole life. It changed my world. Because not only was I an, a, a student activist in my own way in the townships of South Africa during that time, because everybody was an activist to a degree, you know. Um, we were right. throwing rocks. We knew how to make petrol bombs. We were fighting the system, and we knew it was going to be toppled eventually. It couldn't sustain itself. Um, but I wasn't able to be part of the movement itself because the movement itself was patriarchal and misogynist. Very clearly, you know, we, we want women to make more soldiers for us and your job is to make us comfortable as the male soldiers, as the warriors. And, you know, when I talk to some of my friends who either know of or I, I know someone else, Denise Oliver Valdez, who is still alive, who was, who was a panther in Brooklyn, um, chapter of the Panthers, you know, she says, yeah, well, we experienced the same thing in the Panthers. The same thing, yes. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, where women mom, were really relegated. 
Yeah. Yeah, and women were relegated to just as a certain purpose that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to just make soldiers for us. Um, and I experienced that, and, and I wasn't going to be part of that. So when Simon came out and, and really bridged the gap between this activism and that activism and said, you know, we, we're all fighting for the same thing. We are from the same communities as black folk. So, you know, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're fighting a different fight to a black fight or to a feminist fight for that matter. Um, now, what do you think? So merging... Sorry, I just mm-hmm. wanted to say, remember earlier we were talking about this COVID situation um, mm-hmm. and how it we, has exacerbated or opened up like a window to what's already there. Do you feel that is yeah. what's happening in South Africa as well, right? That's what's happening in South Africa as well. We, it's not that we, we did not know or did not see that there are many, many, many issues that need attending to. If we had a good health system, for example, the, amount, the millions of people who have died would not have died. Um, if we had a good, good economic system that leveled the depths of poverty that we are experiencing right now as a result of COVID, we wouldn't be experiencing it in this way. Um, the government would be able to take care of all its citizens in every single way. They're not. None of them are. Very few parts of the world where the government is able to take care of their, of their people. So it's not just South Africa, but the whole world is showing what works and what isn't working. And right now we can see what's not working. Um, and one hopes that we get to a place where we can then start suggesting and fixing what isn't working, because the world is not working as it is right now. No, it, it's not. But you did something no, very not. special at the UN. How did that come about, you speaking at the UN? At the United Nations. So um, at the World Conference on Women, which actually started exactly 25 years ago, Yesterday, on the 4th of September, 1995, um, I got an opportunity through a network of international friends. I attended an an international conference in New York City in 1994 and made connections with other international activists and found out that the Beijing conference was going to be happening. Um, And I, I, you know, got a ticket to go to the conference. and arrived at the conference and met other leaders who it turns out had been working on the platform for action, on inclusivity, on language, um, and on lesbian visibility. And so I found myself amongst fellow warriors who were all fighting for exactly the same thing. And it became home for the 10 days, or rather the lesbian tent um, and the conference itself. You know, we found, we found a home amongst each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we eventually got an opportunity to make a speech, um, I think from what my fellow activists say, I was a natural choice for a couple of reasons. <laughs> one, I was from the glo- one, I was from the global south, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you think about how the world sees us, the LGBTIQ community, it's supposedly this is some Western thing. This is some right. American thing. Um, and so it couldn't be somebody from the global north, uh, because then here are the global northerners doing their thing again, right? It had mm. to, we, there had to be a representative from somewhere else. That's the first. The second thing was that I had just come from a country where my president, who was at the time Nelson Kolekata um, Mandela, um, came out and said, you know, no one shall be discriminated against even on the basis of their sexual orientation. 
and and the fact that we had a president and a, uh, a you know a ruling party that was very much for the recognition of all our rights, including the rights of the LGBTIQA people, made me you know just as much a natural choice. And so by the time the speech was written, um, and it wasn't just written by myself, there was a, a group of us in the lesbian caucus inside the United Nations building. We, we wrote it with that in mind that, you know, there's, there's a chance that there'll be a much bigger ear because of wh- who I am and where I'm from. Mm. How did and you so feel? I made the speech. How did you feel? I mean, because, again, you were a natural actor <laughs> when you were like nine, so were you nervous? Um, <laughs> um, were you? Do you remember even speaking? You know how sometimes people do stuff, and you're like, wow, I don't even remember what I just did. What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, until recently, I'm, I'm busy completing a film on this moment, on the Beijing conference, on our contributions. Um, and so now I'm kind of going back in time a lot because I'm in, I'm in the middle of editing the film or rather I'm at the end of the film editing. Um, but yes, it was, it was, I didn't at the time realize that I would be the first to address the official United Nations body. I, mm. I didn't know. I had known that there'd been other activists before me who had spoken at the United Nations, um, at the NGO forums, for example, and in other spaces, you know, the Human Rights Conference, the Reproductive Health Population, you know, conference. There had been the language and there had been activists, but I was first. I didn't know. And so, you know, I was nervous going into making the speech, but as you say, I'd already been making lots of speeches since I was 17 years old at the first Pride March in Johannesburg. And so it was, it was, it was not a big deal. It's when I walked out and I saw the press and I saw all these people around me, that's when I realized, oh, wow, wait, something's happening here. Mm. And so um, only then did I go into the shock. Only then did I need a whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> So this movie, what's the name of the movie that you're making um, about the experience there? The film is called Lesbians Free Everyone, a Beijing Retrospective. And the, the title came off of a big banner that was written in different languages at the Lesbian March at the Beijing conference. Um, there's there's so, so little is known of what we did in Beijing that this film is going to be a very big eye-opener. Um, it's, it's made obviously during COVID, during the lockdown, um, using, um, you know, platforms like Skype and Zoom to be able to record. Um, so it, it, it is done while sitting in my lounge talking to activists from every single corner of the world and, and, and just kind of reminiscing, but also telling the story. So it's, it's, amazing. Gonna be, it's gonna be very exciting. Absolutely. Yes. It's so With exciting. social media, you have this social mm-hmm. media now. This is one of the things I think will help free mm-hmm. certain um people and enlighten people to what their struggles have been, um, whether you're mm-hmm. black, LGBT mm-hmm. LGBTI, uh, whatever mm-hmm. it is, because you know, like we said earlier, it's been going on. Discrimination's been going on, you know, uh, it's problems been have been on. going on. Um, and the communities mm-hmm. know this, but other people deny it. But now with social mm-hmm. media, with Twitter, you know, with Facebook, with TikTok, Instagram, yes. all these things, it's in your face. No, it did not stop happening even though you made these rules and regulations. Because, you know, I was also yes. reading, you know, people thought South Africa was so progressive, but then they moved there 
you know, mm-hmm. in terms of LGBTI uh, issues, and then mm-hmm. they realize they're being discriminated there as well. So mm-hmm. written, written in the book, but it's not in the words and the actions of the people. It's not on the ground, absolutely. And I, I, I'm loving how the world is connecting via these social media sites and, and, and how the Internet is connecting us. So while we may speak of all the negative things that are happening, like the hates and all of that, there's still the positivity that I'm having a conversation with you right now about a film that was shot with people from everywhere in the world that is probably going to also you know, broadcast online that is accessible to people all over the world who can get enough data or Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? It's like yes. it's, a, it's such an incredible space to be in right now that we can reach across different parts of the world and know what's happening in your world, just like you get to know what's happening in mine. Real quick, so we only have incredible. a couple seconds left. Just tell me, who's your uh-huh. favorite musician? Oh, my God. That's such a big question. I've got so many. Uh, Tandy Somazwai. Please, you need to listen to Tandy Somazwai. You need to listen to, um, oh, my God, Michelle Dagiotello. Of course, I mentioned her. Queen Latifah. Hello, Queen. Um, oh, wow. I'm going, see, now I'm going to regret this because there's so many people I love. That's okay. What's your favorite food? What do you, what's your favorite food? My favorite food? Um, I love chicken. Um, um, I love sushi. Um, mm-hmm. I love stews. Um, uh, samp. There's a, there's a meal <laughs> called samp here at home. Oh my god, I love samp with oxtail. Um, I love veggies. Um, breakfast is my favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Beverly, for being on the show this morning. Um, I know it's uh, evening thank for you. you, and this is the it's beauty of the technology um, that we are able to share your story and um, support you in the fight, and, um, you know, it's just really amazing, absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Have an awesome day. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. I just got off the phone with Dr. Beverly Ditsy. She was actually um, got an honorary degree, a bachelor's degree from Claremont Graduate University in California, um, so uh, she's actually a doctor. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings at Joy Keys, Instagram. Um, stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with um, a wonderful uh, musician, saxophonist, Emmanuel Wilkins. All right, you have a good day. Stigma may not directly affect you, but it harms the one in five Americans living with mental health conditions. Which prevents millions of people from seeking help. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to curestigma.org and get tested for stigma.